From WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Elise Hammond. And I'm Connor Keurig. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Athens Beautification Day this Sunday gives community members and students alike an opportunity to come together and make Athens a better place. And one of our reporters spoke with current freshmen about advice they would have given themselves if they came in as new students all over again. We'll give you all the details and more coming up right here on The Outlet. The 13th annual Athens Beautification Day is coming up this Sunday, where hundreds of volunteers across Athens County come together to clean up communities. Outlet reporter Liam Nehemiah sits down with the directors of Athens Beautification Day, Selena Snyder and Elisa Hill, to see what's new this year. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Outlet. This is Outlet reporter Liam Niemeyer here. And today on the show, we're going to be talking a little bit about Athens Beautification Day. It's uh, going to be the 13th year that this community service event has happened in Athens. And uh, it's going to be happening this upcoming Sunday on April 9th. Today on the show, we're going to be talking with Selena Snyder, who's the director for Athens Beautification Day this year, and Elisa Hill, who's the assistant director. Uh, Guys, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thanks. And so tell me, guys, a little bit. um, So Athens Beautification Day, it's the 13th annual one, if I'm correct. Um, for someone that doesn't really know a lot about it or has never been, um, what do you guys actually do during Athens Beautification Day? So on Athens Beautification Day, we run two shifts for service projects, so 9 to 11 and 1 to 3. And you'll be assigned to a project that could be anywhere from locally in the city of Athens to Nelsonville to Albany to Chansey. Um, and these projects vary from landscaping, trash cleanups, painting, uh, storm drain stenciling, uh, gardening, lots of variety. What's like one thing necessarily, and either of you can answer this, what's like one ne- thing necessarily that um, I don't know, people might not know about like Athens Beautification Day? Um, so we've recently learned that Athens Beautification Day is one of the largest service events in the state of Ohio. Uh, So that's a nice little tag to throw on it and reason you should participate. Um, We, that one day of service really does benefit the whole community throughout the entire summer because it's essentially like a spring cleaning for that county. Um, So it's not just your one project that has an impact, but the 50 other projects that are happening too. That's cool. Um, So how many guys, how many people are you guys expecting to show up for Athens Beautification Day? How many volunteers? Because I've seen um, from past years it can be as many as like, you know, 1,900, things of that nature. Um, So currently we have 683 people registered at my last count. Um, However, registration is still open until Wednesday night. Um, So I hope that number will go up. I think we had 100 people registered today. Um, we think we're expecting close to eight to eight hundred to a thousand again this year. Um, so, but with the two shifts, that's about five hundred at a time for my staff to deal with. So, so I guess just kind of um, overall question here: 
So in doing all these different things, all these different projects to improve communities around Athens County and in Athens County, what's the big message of this all? Like, what are you guys, what's supposed to be um, the big message, the lasting impact that um, happens with Athens Beautification Day? Well, obviously, besides just beautifying the area and keeping it clean and giving back to the community that we live in, um, it's also to help build that relationship between students and community members. Um, part of the idea behind the day is to you know, not make it seem like such a student versus community um, fight year-round that we have going on with fest season or parties. Um, but this is a day where everyone comes together and we're all doing something that benefits each other because we all do live here and it is nice to walk out and say, hey, I planted those flowers with Mr. Smith or whatever. Um, so it does definitely build on that relationship and taking responsibility for where we all live. I got you. Cool. So I, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first year that there's an Athens Beautification Week. Yes. Um, could one of you guys like care to, care to explain on how, um, yeah. Um, so we started Athens Beautification Week this year, um, mainly because we were having so many volunteers come out on Sunday that we didn't have enough projects for all of them at once. Um, so what we're hoping to do is offer projects throughout the week that volunteers can go to um, and still contribute to the community and just hopefully break down that number of the whole week and maybe even break that 1,000 number. Um, but in terms of events that we have going on this week, we're doing philanthropy-based events and service-based events. Um, so our philanthropy-based events are fundraisers that we have going on around campus, put on by CSLC members, put on by the Community Engagement Office, um, and put on by members of the CSLC Roundtable. Um, so like today, we were fundraising for River Road Rabbit Rescue, um, which is a rabbit rescue off on River Road in Athens. So what were you guys' um, favorite events, just, I don't know, individually? Is there anything that, like, you know, that happens each year or maybe in this year in particular you guys are just looking forward to? Um, I know for me my favorite part of specifically Athens Beautification Day is we'll pass out sheets to each group to come back with statistics, like number of volunteers, hours, how many trees planted, um, because, you know, we can see the quality in the town, but the quantity also speaks for itself. Um, my favorite part is when people hand in the sheets and they go, I really like that project or I really connected with the community member I worked with. And it's just great to see how excited they get coming back from doing community service because that's not something you see very often. Awesome. Um, and you, Alyssa? Um, well, I think I'm most excited for this year is just to see the sheer number of people come out and really just all with the same purpose of community service and really making sure to improve or beautify Athens. I think, you know, all coming together like-minded would be really exciting and good time. Well, uh, I think that's uh, everything that uh, I had. But, um, yeah, thank you guys for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Incoming college freshmen are usually intimidated and scared when they first arrive on campus and would appreciate any advice from current college students. Taylor Brooke takes us through Ohio University's campus asking random freshmen what advice they think is most important for incoming freshmen to know. College can be a scary thing, especially when you're going into your freshman year with no idea what to expect. For most college freshmen, it is the first time they will have to be independent, 
interact with those they have never met before, and time manage. Freshmen are usually intimidated by upperclassmen and also struggle to figure out what they want to do with the rest of their lives. According to CBS News, 28% of college freshmen felt overwhelmed by all they had to do in college. Sarah Owen, a freshman attending Ohio University Lancaster, said the most important piece of advice she could give to an incoming freshman would be to learn to time manage. The biggest piece of advice I can give to uh, incoming freshmen is to uh, plan out your study time. So for me, I'm a super big procrastinator and I always wait until either the night before or even like a couple hours before uh, a test to whip out my notes or my study material. Um, but I can still manage to pull it off because I can be focused. Um, and I'm really trying hard to uh, just like plan out my study time over like the course of a couple of days. Uh, to make sure I can maximize the material and learn it the best way I can. Stay on top of your schoolwork, and I know that sounds really cliche, but it's super important if you want to uh, do well in your classes and strive towards uh, the major that you want. Once one immerses themselves in the college atmosphere, they either sink or swim. Time management is very important when it comes to college. College is a lot more about independence. You have core classes you have to take, but you also have free range to choose classes that interest you. Freshman at Ohio University, Maggie Wolf, gives more on picking the right classes and getting good grades. I would definitely mix up your gen eds with like your core classes if you have like decided your major because taking all gen eds in one semester kind of like you become uninterested and just because there are gen eds and you have to take them and then also I would really talk to your academic advisor about pushing you during your second semester of your freshman year to take classes that are related to your major because they really push on you to take your gen eds instead of your major classes and with that like I became bored and didn't want to do that. I would recommend showing up to class because it definitely reflects in your GPA when you start slacking and sitting on your butt watching Netflix all day and then you get to the exam and you don't know what's going on and pulling an all-nighter is not an option in college. It's not going to benefit your test scores. It's going to hurt them. Sleep is key. Matt Wilson, also a freshman at Ohio University, recommends taking classes that you're interested in. I think good grades in college is very important, but it's important to take classes you're interested in so you actually show up to class. Getting involved in your university or community in some way is probably a good idea. Becoming an integral part of the campus is a good way to make friends and feel productive. Don't sign up for more than you can handle, though. Join what truly interests you so that you can get full effort in what you get involved in. Freshman at Ohio University, Maria Economos, tells us more on staying sane while trying to do it all. I would say don't join more than two clubs in a semester because it's important to get involved, but you don't want to over-involve yourself and then let your grades suffer. Most freshmen are also worried about their roommates. Living with a new person can be challenging, especially if you are used to having your own room growing up. Maria tells us more about how to handle problems when they arise. I would say to make sure you communicate with your roommates so that things don't turn into bigger issues than they need to be. Haley Now, also a freshman at Ohio University, gives her advice on how to find a roommate. Don't random is my first uh, suggestion. Everyone that I've heard that's randomed, um, it's came out looking, it's awful. <laughs> And um, my second suggestion is to go on to like the OU, like your graduating class Facebook, like OU like 2020, OU 21. And typically people are looking for roommates there and you can like get to know each other through that. And that's pretty nice. Freshmen learn a lot by going to college. 
There is plenty more advice to be given, but those were some of the top things current freshmen at Ohio University think incoming freshmen should know. The first year can be tough, but somehow you will work it out and come into sophomore year thriving. Trust the process and don't be afraid to put yourself out there and ask for advice or help. College is fun and rewarding, so enjoy it. Any other advice you'd give for incoming freshmen? Uh, have fun uh, and uh, study hard. For The Outlet, I'm Taylor Brock. Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine announced a program March 22nd with a focus on helping kids and their families who struggle with drug abuse. It's called Sobriety, Treatment, and Reducing Trauma, or START. I spoke with Dan Tierney, a spokesman from the Attorney General's office in Columbus, about START. I know the main goal is to obviously help families who are caught in drug addiction, but in what specific ways will it aid families? Sure. So... One of the key points to this program is looking at a two-pronged approach uh, regarding the opioid epidemic. First is making sure that there's uh, that the adults get into treatment, but second is recognizing that the children may be victims of the epidemic as well. You know, while the children may not be addicted to drugs, they still have suffered ex- you know significant trauma you know, related to. You, uh, their parents' addiction. So the goal of this program is to make sure that, you know, while families are in treatment, that we're able to help the uh, their children as well. So what are some, I guess, like programs like, so for example, say a family is referred by someone else because there's addiction going on, um, what will that process look like for a family that gets referred? So it's going to be combining a lot of different resources and funding those resources to make sure that they're available and there's a continuity of service. Some of those services will include child protective services, peer mentors, court services, behavioral health services, and obviously treatment providers. Uh, Again, the goal is to work closely with families who have children uh, that that may have been neglected due to parental addiction and make sure they have a continuity of service uh, so that ultimately the addiction is treated and the families can be reunited. Awesome. Thank you. And so if you could sum up the ultimate goal of the START program, how would you do that? Well, so this is a pilot program. And, you know, it is based off a program in Kentucky, but we want to see if, you know, any success from that Kentucky program can be mirrored here in Ohio. So ultimately, we'd like to see if it is successful. And if it is successful, you know, work uh, obviously with state partners to see if it can eventually be expanded statewide. Uh, The opiate epidemic is still going on. Uh, It's uh, still very much at a uh, crest. Uh, It's not waning. So we want to do what we can here in the office. Attorney General DeWine and our staff, you know, every day they talk about what we can do if there's anything additional that can be done to address the opiate epidemic. And so we're hoping that, you know, looking at this, we can determine if this is one tool which should be replicated statewide to help address the epidemic. Um, How long did this take to plan? Yeah, we've been working on this, uh, you know, for for several months leading up to today's announcement. Obviously, it takes work to get, you know, the various counties involved as well as, you know, identify this program and the counties that we wanted to work with. Okay. Is Athens one of the 12 counties that is uh, part of the pilot program? Yes, the counties involved are Athens, Claremont, Clinton, Fairfield, Fayette, Gallia, Highland, Jackson, Perry, Pickaway, Pike, Hawking, Ross, and Vinton counties.
All right, and one final question. So you said if this is successful, it will obviously spread throughout the state. What what elements are required to uh, to prove to you guys and to prove to um, the attorney general that this is a successful program? Well, obviously, the the goal of you know any program such as this is to number one make sure the addiction is treated, and second to make sure that the the children uh, are are cared for, that the trauma is addressed, and ultimately that a healthy family is reunited, and that the children are uh, you know receive permanency with their birth families. That's the ultimate goal of that, and and so our our success is going to be judged on how well we do that. Awesome. Okay, well, unless there's anything else you want to share, that should be it. All right, very good. Thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Bye. Bye. This week, the outlet's Allie Eldridge went out into Athens to get an idea of the cost that comes with fest season. If you're a student at Ohio University, you know that for a large portion of the population, the highlight of spring semester is that nearly five-week-long streak of massive parties every weekend. Five weeks of parties, five weeks of jerseys, five weeks of cleanup, and only two words. Fest season. If you don't live on a fest street that weekend, then you typically just show up to a random house and start partying. Well, things are slightly different for the people throwing those parties and also for the people patrolling them. For these people, it's not just about having a good time. They have to prepare for fest season, and things can add up pretty quickly. There are two perspectives on the economics of fest season, those who make money off of it and those who spend money on it. Officer Neil Dickin, one of the policemen who patrols on a horse, says there are some benefits to mounting up and going down the fest streets of Athens. Yeah, we get paid uh, because it's overtime for us. Anytime our horses, no, our horses are used uptown, they get paid twelve fifty an hour. Mm -hmm. So that offsets the cost of the, of the uh, officer owning, owning the horse. The officer also says that the city pays to bring in officers from all over the state for events like fest weekends. Dickon has three horses that are used on mounted patrol, and while that certainly earns him extra cash compared to the officers using only one horse, there's a downside to it too. So I have three horses that, that come uptown, so that's what, 3750 for three horses, but I also have to get three horses cleaned, I have to get three horses prepared and everything else. While the vet bills and care costs are all paid for by the owners, the city does help to pay for the cost of shoeing the horses to help them grip the hard surfaces of the Athens streets. Training for Mountain Patrol can get expensive too. While the training that is taking place next month in Allen County only costs $40, in order for Dickon to lead the training, a decent sized dent needs to be made in his bank account. I'm going to, to Alabama, Mobile, Alabama, to an instructor school. I haven't been to an instructor school in quite a few years, and I'm paying for that $850 out of my own pocket. I'm paying all the mileage. I'm paying all my room and board and all that stuff, and the only thing the city's giving me is days off to go. So I'm spending a good bit. That's how devoted we are to the program. So while Mounted Patrol does get paid a little extra during fest season, for officers like Neil Dickin, there is a substantial cost involved with preparing for it. Now, what about the people throwing the parties? Junior Caitlin Guagenti, who lives on Palmer, is actually basing how much she spends on alcohol on where she lives. 
So we're, we're, we live at Four Palmer, so we're thinking like four kegs for Four Palmer, but we're thinking the cheapest, so like Keystone probably, and I think they're like, God, I don't even know how much it is to fill like 70 bucks or something, so I think it's going to end up being like 60 bucks total for all five of us. On top of all the kegs, Caitlin and her housemates will also be buying champagne for the earlier hours of Palmer Fest. They plan on starting their festivities early at around 8 or 9 a.m. This fest season is a special one for Caitlin, and living on Palmer isn't the only reason it's special. Well, I, I've, I've actually never been to a Palmer Fest, which is weird. Um, freshman year, we didn't go for it was too cold because it's always been cold. And then last year, I had a conference for my um, fraternity, so I didn't end up getting to go. So this will be the first one, which is nice because it's like we live here now, so that'll be fun. So for fest party throwers, while there is a decent amount of money just being spent on alcohol, there's also the cost of living on the notorious fest streets. Whether you're the ones throwing the parties or the ones patrolling them, the real payoffs for your investments are the experiences that only come from fest season. For The Outlet, I'm Allie Eldridge. With President Trump's national orders on filtering entry into the country, People on Ohio University's campus have been discussing and confronting the travel and immigration changes that are alleged to be unwelcoming for members of OU's community who come from abroad. Reporter David Lee catches up with the discussions of defending fellow international friends on campus and the debate over becoming a sanctuary campus. When Ohio University police arrested 70 students during a sit-in inside Baker Center in February, graduate student Jelana Watson was right in the thick of it. OU prides itself on having a large group of international students. That's one of the reasons why I love OU. That's one of the reasons why I did my undergrad as well as my graduate uh, education here. I think that not calling it a sanctuary campus is cowardly, to say the least. Watson is part of a group of students calling on the university to declare itself as a sanctuary campus, meaning it would only provide information to immigration and customs officers with a court order. The current status quo is constantly changing. We don't know what policies, what executive orders might come within the next four years, and we have to be ahead of those decision makers. We have to prepare for the worst. I don't think that the Ohio University is doing all that it can for all of its students. Some of the policies that the university could implement without calling it sanctuary campus policies are simply hiring an immigration lawyer specifically to work with international students who may have uh, problems with their visas. Another policy that they could implement is making immigration status, in particular, a protective class under the Student Code of Conduct so that students uh, cannot be discriminated against or cannot you know, be victims of hate crimes based on their immigration status. Watson advocates for her fellow international students because of people like Ali, who is an Iranian graduate student. His country is one of the seven listed in Trump's executive order. People like me from Iran, we are good people. We've been through a very rigorous educational system to be here. Our visas took, like, it took us from three to 12 months to get the visa to be in the U.S. So the fact that we are being targeted directly for no reason is really annoying. It's, it's been claimed that it's going to make the U.S. safer. However, all the countries that he put on the ban have never been contributing to any terror attack in the U.S. So it's quite unfair and it's not going to, have, it's not going to serve the purpose. 
But some say in declaring itself a sanctuary campus, the university runs the risk of unwanted attention. Definitely I'm enraged just because I am both an international and a domestic student and I am Arab. Although I'm not affected by the ban that occurred, um, I'm definitely like there for my brothers and sisters that were. However, um, as a person who realizes that if we do present ourselves as a sanctuary campus, it runs the risk of not only uh, putting the education of international students in jeopardy, but also of domestic students in jeopardy. We have to recognize that there's things that we can't control, like federal funding. That was Amal Ayufini, who is from the United Arab Emirates and a member of the Student Senate. Then there is the university's administration. OU Vice Provost for Global Affairs and International Studies, Lorna Jean Edmonds, says the university is doing its best to protect its international members. This university is doing everything that it can to meet the needs of these students, the faculty and staff who are affected by these executive orders. And I guess what I would ask you to do is, what's more important? Is it calling yourself a sanctuary campus or is it doing everything you can to ensure the success of our students, faculty and staff who are most affected? So how would OU or Athens police respond to the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or the ICE, if its agents called for the legal status of international students or for more enforcement? OU and Athens police said they have not been contacted by the ICE, but there are still members of the city who are concerned about the national situation. From the outlet, this is David Lee. High school tournaments have been held at Ohio University's Convocation Center for years, and 2017 marks its 100th anniversary of hosting high school teams. The outlet's Matt Morris shows us how significant of a role the tournament plays. Championship high school basketball has been played at Ohio University since 1916 when the university invited area high schools to battle it out to see who was the best. 1918 failed to provide a tournament as all efforts were directed toward ending the First World War. Wayne Horsley is the Ohio High School Athletics Association manager for the Southeastern District and Regional Tournaments. He is the logistical wizard who coordinates the many efforts that are needed to make the tournament happen. Wayne sees the financial windfall the tournament brings to the community. The relationship has been wonderful with Ohio Athletics uh, and with the community of Athens. Uh, the economic benefits are, are, you know, millions of dollars a year to the, to the local community, so that's... Uh, yeah, it's been a really big thing. Um, and since I've been managing the tournaments, we've been averaging about 27 games in a little less than three weeks span. And we've been seeing attendance of about 45,000 visitors uh, to the Convocation Center in each of those years. Jason Farmer is the Associate Athletic Director for OU's Facilities and Event Operations. He coordinates and schedules all of the events as well as oversees the day-to-day -day upkeep of the convo. Farmer sees OU's rental of the convo to the OHSAA not only as an opportunity to make money, but as a chance to showcase the university to regional athletes and their families. Most of the benefit, I think we would all agree, is kind of intrinsic. Um, it's a good community service thing. Um, it's a it's great for us to have athletically, it's good for us to have a relationship with the OHSAA, it's great for us to expose um, selfishly um, athletes and, athletic and athletes' parents to our department, 
but also there's a huge value in just all the athletes, all the students on the court and in the stands, and again, all of their parents coming down and seeing Ohio University, which maybe they wouldn't have. Maybe coming down to follow their basketball team is the only reason they come down to the university in general. Shelly Miller traveled from Walnut Creek. She is the wife of one of the high school coaches and a mother of two student athletes. She relates her unique perspective of how the OHSAA rates high school teams' level of performance with the number of students who attend and how that affects traveling. I feel like that this is a, a you know, just a part of a journey that to get to state and so um, this is the first time for years we've been going to the Canton Fieldhouse um, and that's always a, tre a treat to go there and um, so to change it up we went to D3 this year and or I guess last year was the first year D3 and um, coming down here is just another it's just a just a special uh, just a two and a half hour drive instead of about 40 minutes. <laughs> Gage Mosley is a sophomore majoring in welding engineering at Ohio State. Gage enjoys sharing time with his family, shares a sense of pride with his community, and likes coming to the convo. It's really cool. It's a lot different than the shot, which is what I'm used to, but I like how it's set up and it's cool. Cool environment. I've been here a couple times with just, I, I graduated from Southeastern, so basically whenever they come, I come. And my sister's a uh, senior cheerleader, so that's why I'm here now. 2017 marks the 100th tournament, the 2,295th high school game held on the campus, and the 900th high school game held in the convo. A century worth of basketball tradition continues to provide many benefits to the state, the community, the university, the players, and the fans. For The Outlet, I'm Matt Morris. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to check out Nexter behind-the-scenes discussion with our reporters about some of their favorite stories produced this season on SoundCloud and iTunes. The outlet is co-produced and co-hosted this week by me, Connor Kierick, and Elise Hammond. We're edited by Atish Vaidya, Susan Tebbin, and Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical assistant. Our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud and iTunes, or find us online at woub.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at outlet underscore woub. We'll be back in the fall with more stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. One last time, thanks for listening. <laughs>